0: Welcome to Checkmates Go, Season Two, Episode Four. One thing that's pretty clear from uh, just what we've seen uh, at checkpoint, and uh, certainly what our incident response team has seen, is that uh, the cyber criminals are definitely uh, not uh, sheltering in place, and uh, you know, I don't know, modifying their activities. Uh, it, it seems that uh, the the cyber attacks are continuing, uh, and I th- I think. Uh, you know, we, one of the things that's still happening, of course, is ransomware, and uh, and in fact, there is an interesting uh, entrance vector into organizations uh, that is probably happening, maybe a little bit more because of COVID nineteen and the fact that a lot of people are working from home. And one of the ways that people work from home is RDP. Uh so I have uh Tim Otis and Ray shippers from checkpoints Incident Response Team uh in this conversation and uh I asked Tim uh, what are they seeing in the incident response team with regards to ransomware
1: It's it's definitely a growing epidemic for sure The advanced cases are are, are where people are compromising an entire network and able to do anything inside the network um deploy software, manipulate machines, ev- uh even add admit, admin accounts to the AD, the complete compromise of the network and and therefore are a- able to roll out ransomware to every machine they can they can access there if they want, And you know, hundreds, thousands of machines with some of this some of these advanced ransomware cases. The new twist lately Well, the new twist is weird. I want just to talk about that for a second. Like some of the new ransomware threat actors are, are extorting are ransoming the data and also extorting people to say also, Hey, if you, if you, you know, you can pay us to decrypt the data. And if you don't want to do that and you don't, and you refuse to do that, we'll also extort you and say, we'll release the data we ex filled or, or, or looked at while we were encrypting all your data. Um, Interesting twist or, or point on that rather is the United States Health and Human Services back in 2016 even said for for healthcare and 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 basically HIPAA stuff if a healthcare provider or participant um, experiences ransomware they sh- they should treat it as a data breach. Even back, you know, even before these threat these new newer uh, ransomware threat actors or to, or changes rather to th- ransomware threat actors TTPs, are in, to include the extortion, even back then HHS was saying, hey, the threat actors compromised your machine. They were able to write to every single file on the system with you know with a with a software and encrypt it. So it's basically compromised. We should we should consider that a data breach. Uh, so that's since 2016. But but yeah, the new the new th- the new theory is this extortion twist on top of the ransom demand. And what's been
2: really interesting with it as well is that they, you know, well we have seen these extortions before, but they're actually starting to carry through now. Like Maze is posting on the public internet data of their of their victims. Uh, they're calling it the Wall of Shame, uh, which is a new interesting twist so it's much harder for organizations to hide the fact they've been compromised but yeah it's also uh, much more likely now that if somebody says hey we're, we're going to release this publicly that they'll actually carry through with it
0: yeah and that's really scary right and some of yeah you know, some of the data we're talking about here is uh, you, know, you know if we're talking about a healthcare organization it's uh, people's medical records and you know if it's a if it's a financial organization it's people's financial records it's it's there's just a lot of data that's could potentially uh, all of a sudden be out there. And that is, and yeah, it, 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 you, then again, you've also, you know, you've got the, the malicious actors, um, you know, sometimes they're just causing damage. I mean, they're all after money, right? That's at the end of the day, that's most, if they can get money, that's going to be the thing that they want. But if they can't get that, they'll cause damage in, in, in any way that they can. It seems to me just, you know, as an observer looking at the, uh, you know, the, the ransomware landscape that um, a lot of these different types of ransomware are, are they're they're not all that uh, dissimilar from each other. And in fact, if I remember what our uh, what our research folks said, there you know a lot of them are variants of each other. Uh, are you seeing particular types of ransomware um, out there more than others? Is it or is it all over the place? Is it uh, you know the uh, you know is is, is it uh, my imagination or what are we seeing?
2: So from what I've seen, what we've seen is that um, there seems to be two kind of groups. There's your kind of low capability threat actors who are using ransomware as a service, uh, and they'll exploit, you know, IDP being exposed to the internet. They'll exploit they'll exploit the kind of lower hanging fruit, uh, but then they'll still kind of bash their way through a network and you know en- encrypt a significant portion of the network in pretty quick order, and they still do a huge amount of damage. Uh, But then you have your kind of big game uh, hunting uh, threat actors, people behind Rogue and things like that, who are a bit more targeted. They seem to buy access rather than uh, initially uh, creating access for themselves, but they're much more stealthy, much more quiet. A good example of that is we had one case uh, where a threat actor was literally Googling on a compromised system how to use the tools that they purchased off the dark web uh, on the victims' machine, they were literally googling how to use Mimi Cats on a compromised server uh, as part of their uh, attack with with ransomware. Whereas uh, you know in a Ryuk case, we uh, typically don't see that kind of thing, and with Ryuk, we typically see pretty advanced reconnaissance lateral movement and they're pretty stealthy and can be in a network for a ex- extended period of time months in some cases
0: so you can tell almost by the type of ransomware that the the level of uh, sophistication of the of the threat actor right it could be if it's yeah if it's one of these ransomware as a service organizations it's probably you know it's probably what we used to call a script kitty back in the day um, yeah uh, script kitties have gotten more dangerous I guess and then uh, then you've got the uh, yeah then you've got the ones that are deployed uh you know maybe maybe something never before seen and you know and targeting a specific organization um, and uh, you know and, and yeah spending as you say months trying to get into the organization uh, uh, it's an interesting dynamic
1: it's actually that that's actually uh an, a, a triage portion of our you know when somebody calls the incident response hotline one of the first things you know we always ask if, if it's a ransomware cases is, can you send us a screenshot of the ransom note and if or, or, or do they already know, have they already done a little homework to figure out what ransomware it is? And if we know to your point, like, if we know that it's a certain kind of ransomware, we, 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 we our intelligence and, you know, history and experience lets us know that they got in via RDP. It's almost certain. So let's start looking at boxes that are exposed to the internet, with RDP and look at those logs. If it's a, if it's like, if it's like a riot case or something like this, it's, it's likely some malware persistence inside the network. And let's, let's, we we have a different path kind of, you know, to start investigating that. But, but things like the soda no Kibi are evil or, um, Dharma ransomware, things like that is probably like RDP is probably the way it got in almost always. Well, I think always, low-hanging fruit versus kind of stealthy threat actors.
2: But the interesting thing is um, the outcome is, in in most cases, the same. Uh, So there's organizations with the kind of low-hanging fruit exposed either um, through not knowing better or by accident, uh, as we've seen in a couple of cases. Um, Their internal hygiene is probably not always uh, that high as well. And so as a result, uh, the attacker... Um, can do significant damage with low capability, uh, where it takes a more sophisticated actor. You know they have the capabilities to do this, to do the significant damage uh, at that large scale. So in other cases, the end result is in a lot of cases hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of servers encrypted, your backups destroyed, uh, and uh, your uh, your data. Uh, and especially now with the new new change in behavior, your data potentially exfiltrated.
0: One of the things we always tell people to do with uh, with you know, as, as defense against ransomware is to take backups. It's important to take them, but um, your backup strategy is uh, one of the ways that uh, you can recover from from ransomware. It's 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 you should be doing this anyway, of course. Uh, but uh, if you don't uh, take them in the right way, then they're going to be useless when you have to recover from ransomware. You know, for ex- if you only Take one backup uh, every so often. Uh, yeah, you might you might get some of your data back, but uh, if you're not if you're not taking them continuously, then you could be you could be out for days or weeks, depending upon the last time you took a successful backup. And with some of these systems, if you're uh, taking uh, you know you're taking continual backups of your system, um, and you know it, and, and your files get ransomware, then uh, your ransomware might get backed up too. So revision control is very important, right? As far as uh, uh, your backups. So uh, it, it's so uh, backups are very important but you also have to have the right backup strategy
2: and checking the integrity so we had a couple of customs now where um the attackers were in there for a long enough period that they actually started corrupting the backups uh, and the victim's didn't check the integrity of their backups uh, and didn't do a test restore frequently enough, uh, and so the backups were rendered useless as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh, yeah. So it's you have to really um, yeah. You know, that's part of the strategy for for you know dealing with uh, you know with ransomware is is making sure you have backups, and it's and it's very expensive to re- to rebuild servers and restore. So I mean, yeah, you know, probably your best defense against ransomware is not to get it in the first place.
1: Also, you know, NASA's made uh, online backups really, really cool for a minute, but uh, an online backup is not cool if the threat actors can look at it and manipulate it, or, or, or kind of like you were saying uh, earlier is just you you're, you're writing on the nas every day it's the same medium it's the same kind of container if you will and we're writing the same data now we're writing compromised or or ransomed or rather encrypted data to the same container or or space where uh you know tapes it tapes tapes suck but uh if if they're not plugged in and they're last week's backup that thing is still good a
0: phrase i've heard for for many years which i think is important for as far as backups is is the is a 321 backup strategy where um you want to have at least three copies of the data um in two different mediums uh, and one of them offsite for sure right and and how you do that there's i mean there's many different ways you can write backups uh, you know there's there's many different mediums that that things can be backed up so um I know. But again, you also, and you have to, yeah, you have to check the backups to make sure that they're good. And a lot of organizations don't do that. So they think they've got backups and then all of a sudden find out they're useless. And, and, you know, so this, this is where, you know, I know, um, you know, I think city Baltimore comes to mind, right? They, you know, they spent uh, you know, millions of dollars to try and recover from it. And I'm sure a lot of that cost was um, trying to pull the backups and make sure that they work and, and, uh you know, and realize that maybe in some cases they weren't, but, and even if you have backups, you still have to rebuild the servers and do all the stuff that, uh, um you know, that, that you have to do to recover from, uh you know, having a lot of your infrastructure uh, compromised by ransomware. So what should people do to protect themselves against ransomware
1: number one is make sure you're not exposing rdp to the internet with 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 all of the all of the kind of things that we're we 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 have talked about different attacks and everything have knowing what you're running on and and, and is exposed to the internet is is crucial and, and what you were exposing to the internet yesterday could change today. People could stand up new machines. Uh, firewall rules could accidentally be opened up too wide. All kinds of things have happened and all kinds of things have happened to cause customers to call, you know, our incident response hotline. Not exposing RDP to the internet, knowing what you have exposed to the internet is really, really important. Having some kind of uh, anti-ransomware protection on endpoints nowadays is really good checkpoint has one a lot of other vendors have them uh, some something that that can help detect that and and with some of the super advanced stealthy things um, we roll back into uh, we roll back into least privilege and some of the fundamental discussions because uh, when a threat actor is able to compromise one user's machine via a phishing email and then deploy additional malware to move laterally throughout the network uh if 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 that user's checking their email as an admin the attacker's game is much easier when they compromise that machine if the if the attacker's like a low-privileged just user um it makes the attacker's job hard and 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 their recon job inside the network harder those are some things. I'm sure Ray's got some more.
2: Yeah, and definitely also um, have have a think about where, what kind of credentials are being cached where. So, for example, Microsoft has a group built into Active Directory called Protected Users Group that limits uh, where these privileged accounts uh, credentials are cached because what we're finding time and time again is that whilst the initial victim is probably a low-privileged user, a couple of weeks ago uh, a domain admin logged in to help the user with something and their credentials got cached, uh, and they're just using the cached credentials to move laterally. So not logging in with domain admin rights, using delegated rights, and using uh, built-in protections from Microsoft, like the protected users group, uh, definitely can help uh, reduce the impact and the chances of the bad guys finding your uh, privileged accounts as well. And definitely using something like Laps, uh, which sets a unique local admin password for every machine that rotates every 24 hours. So that means that you can safely log in as a local admin, if need be, to troubleshoot a PC, uh, knowing that uh, within a few hours that password will roll uh, and it can't be used. And even if it was stolen, it's only valid for that machine, uh, severely limiting the damage because we've had a number of cases now where the organization has the same local admin password on every machine across the environment. And so the attacker can dump one password and just jump from machine to machine using the local admin account uh, bypassing all your kind of fancy same products uh, and things like that as well
0: yeah and I think uh, you know the other thing you got to worry about is you know attachments and email right and this is because this is where
2: this is a vector I know
0: that uh, that sometimes ransomware can come in on right and and you know I think there you know there are certainly tools you can use to make sure that uh, that uh, uh, files don't can do malicious things right uh, the, you know, the you know checkpoint we call it threat emulation or or, or sandblast right you can you can uh, you can make sure that uh, files are safe for your end users but and and there's other tools that do that as well, right? It's, a, it's just a question of making sure that before the user, uh, you know, gets the file that we, that, that some assurance is made that the file is safe. And then, uh, you know, as an end user, if you're not expecting a document from somebody, you might not want to open it, right? It's a, there's cause, you know, sometimes <laughs> all you have to do is open a document and, you know, it, it could even be just a simple picture in some cases. It, again, depends on the, uh, uh, it depends on the sophistication of the, uh, of the attacker, but, uh, that can, if you're not expecting a particular, uh uh, you know you're not expecting somebody to send you a document that could be uh, you know that could be a sign that uh, maybe you shouldn't uh, open that document
2: yeah absolutely so I was actually just running some intelligence reports for customers here in Australia and in Australia 90 percent of all malicious files were delivered via email so just and the number one file type and at uh, well over 60 percent of malicious files was documents so not just emulation but content rebuild. so threat extraction as jetpoint calls it Content rebuilding is starting to become really, really important as well. Um, it's also a lot quicker than, than emulation, but it definitely makes sure that you kind of have a known good file coming in uh, rather than... Uh, yeah. Else.
0: And I think it's, you know, for that, I think it's important that there's, you know, the getting any of the security tools that we employ don't get in people's way. And in content rebuilding is a, you know, is certainly one of those ways that, uh, you know, again, you, you're not, you're not impeding the flow of business. You're, if it, if it happens to be a document that somebody needs the real version of, they can get it, but it's, uh, but yeah, but they, they're, they're not going to be, uh, it's not going to be as dangerous to open it because we've rebuilt it in a way that, uh, makes sure that it's safe.
1: There's no legit use for macros anymore. People shouldn't be sending docs with macros. Thank
0: you for listening to this episode of Checkmates Go. You can subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can also send us feedback via email at checkmates at checkpoint.com. Thanks for listening.